Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Frau Pow, where your host, Auden Rex. So for this episode that you're about to listen to, we are going to give you an official trigger warning. We are going to be talking about topics such as depression and suicide. Um, so if this is not something that you think you can listen to right now, please feel free to skip to another episode and come back to us when you're ready. So this week we are doing an interview with Nick or Finick. Um, as he's known in the Derby world. Um, he is really talented and awesome and is currently working on a comic on depression. Um, he also has a company called Sloth Comics that you guys should all check out. Um, he does some really incredible stuff along with um, the other people that draw for his comics. He lives in Edinburgh um, with his partner, um, who we talk about a little bit in this interview. Um, and in general, uh, Nick is really awesome, very sweet. It was really good to talk to Nick about depression and how that might look differently for everybody um, and how we should support other people. Um, I also have to tell you something, Nick. Um, yeah? Sloths are my favorite animal, and I was so excited when you um, told us the name of your comics because it just makes me so happy. I love sloths so much, and that would be the kind of animal I would want to be, but it definitely doesn't represent who I, who I am at all. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm told as well. Is that I love sloth and stuff, but I, I don't really stop much. So yep. everyone says you're not very slothful. <laughs> exactly. I think I would be represented by a hippo because they seem like they're really like nice and they sort of just float there, but they're like the dead, one of the deadliest animal, animals in Africa, mm -hmm. and they're like really territorial and terrifying, and they can run really fast, but you wouldn't expect it. <laughs> they, they are. They're, they're the biggest uh, killer uh, animal who kills the most people every year. See? Yeah. So what you're saying, Odd, is that you're a natural-born killer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't expect it. I look sort of cute. Yeah, everyone thinks it's going to be something predatorial or carnivore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would be. Uh, I, sometimes I just choose basically like what I feel like drawing. <laughs> I think that's a good. That that's fair. that's fine. I'm cool with that. I've been wanting to draw a porcupine for ages. I forget why. I saw a really cute picture and I was like, oh, I want to draw a porcupine. Have you seen the um, South American porcupines? Because. They're different than the ones that are in North America. And the South American ones, they have um, a snout that sticks out a little further and a bigger nose. And they have thicker quills. I only say this because my partner and I are really big animal nerds. And we went, we met one when we were visiting the Bronx Zoo. Her name was Wednesday. And um, they're so They're so cute. Even compared yes. to the North American porcupine that's that's i saw that's the one i saw one of those and i was mm -hmm. like i have to draw that that is the next person i want to draw is going to be like a south american porcupine i love their nose they're so cute and they're so soft like i got to pet her and <gasps> she's the one at the bronx zoo is like 
over 20 years old and they bring her a carrot cake for her birthday oh every God. year. <gasps> and she, she decided, they said like five years ago that she likes grapes, but doesn't like them with the skins on. So the keepers have to peel the grapes. Oh, <laughs> I love it adorable. so much. <laughs> How did you get started in comics? Um, I've always wanted to do it. I guess. Well, at least since I was really young, my it's kind of a French cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone in France has like a comics collection. My dad's really into it, and I just just kind of knew that's what I wanted to do. That's what? awesome. We were actually talking about comic <laughs> oh, books yeah, we on were. the way over here because <laughs> I, I wrote my uh, my thesis. The reason they let me graduate college was because I wrote a paper on Spider Man. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, like, what were what were some comics that weren't necessarily superhero comics that you you were reading growing up? Oh wow, you'd have to. Uh, which is English, like or American that you would know? Big fan of Dilbert. Oh I yeah, that's in the in the Sunday papers. Yeah. So I mean, I started really young with Garfield. He's not a superhero, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, after that, you get Dilbert. You get Non Sequitur. Oh, uh, I love Non Sequitur. Yes. You know all those. Really, really like those. Mm-hmm. I'm a I'm and, a big Calvin and Hobbes fan. I have like the collections of them. Oh yeah, the. the my partner just got a Kelvin and Hobbes tattoo, her first tattoo, <gasps> and it's Kelvin and Hobbes. Uh, it's Hobbes pouncing on Kelvin on her leg. Oh, that's really cute. So you you talked before about um, like working with Stop Stigma and everything, and um, so what what made you reach out to Stop Stigma originally? Well, I, I think uh, it's very close to what we want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. Yeah. uh, I have, like, felt from basically early, since I've been kind of diagnosed with mental health issues, like, there was quite a big stigma uh, linked to it to an extent that at first I tried to live with it openly and it just really didn't work out too well and people would assume things. would assume may be obsolete things like you're making it up, you'll get over it. I've heard, I've heard it all. To um, to the point where I just realized that uh, if I, I maybe shouldn't tell people because if they assume that, they probably assume other things they don't want to tell me. Then I realized that well, there's not really like, you know, there might be anti-discrimination laws or whatever, but since it's not something like a visible disability i might say if someone discriminates against you or they don't have to show it or explain it they can just go no pass you over for someone else just because oh he's got mental health issues why would i pick him as opposed to someone else who doesn't have you had that experience um before that someone's passed you over it's one of those things I can't verify because when someone tells you why didn't you get hired, mm-hmm. uh, they don't generally tell you exactly. Like even if it's you know, no matter what it is, they can't legally say. Yeah, well, that's true. Because you know, it's because you're you have depression or uh, mainly mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. almost on a logical standpoint. If you have options and uh, you don't really have to explain your option, but you have one candidate to pick, 
you're probably going to go with the one who is a sa- who you think is a safer bet. Right. And a lot of people perceive like mental health issues as not being a, a safe bet, as instability, as uh, well. I've, for example, I've had to be hospitalized before. Of oh, he might have to go back to hospital again. He might mm-hmm. have to take days off. Uh, things like that. So, but for me, on the other hand, I don't know. I thought I think at least seeing your work and just knowing other people who are creative and that is sort of their professional role, um, that their struggles with mental health have really helped them be a better artist, um, and be like more inspired. So it just makes me a little like upset at the universe. Um, and the fact that like, it also can work against you. Uh, yeah, because the thing is, I'm not just an artist. My main f- job is uh, being a publisher. Mm-hmm. And when it comes down to it, being a publisher is being a businessman. And the world of business is pretty unforgiving. Yeah. Like, I, I know that, say, you're going to give a loan or money's involved or investments involved. You don't. You want to take the least risk possible. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that my mental health issues represent a risk, um, at least to a lot of people. And it just takes one person to see it as a risk mm-hmm. to kind of veto it. I've been told quite a lot of things like, um, you know, for things like you're making it up, it's due to video games or um, make me think, well, if these people, some of them really intelligent, think this, mm-hmm. then I'm guessing that other people are going to think this and I, I should probably hide this just in case. And so what has that, how has that made you feel when people have told you that, that you're making it up? It feels really odd and, and weird of, uh, it makes you, if anything, it makes you feel, I'd say in general, like doubt yourself because Let's go with uh, great self-confidence is not something that generally comes with mental health. Right. What? Really? (laughs) (laughs) So when someone tells you that, if anything, it it gives you a lot of doubt in yourself and uh, makes you doubt a lot of other things like your perceptions of reality in general. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, I mean, I think just even like having to talk to my parents, um, my dad, about my mental health has been difficult because I, you know, he cares a lot about me. We're really close, but he, I think just thinks I'm being like a little dramatic when I talk about my anxiety and my depression. Um, and almost like you're sort of blowing it out of proportion and it really makes you question like, am I really being melodramatic? Am I being like, do I remember everything correctly? Like it just like it really throws me for a tailspin. And so I just don't talk to him about it. Yeah. Yeah. Both my parents are actually doctors. So when I was going to it's one of those of even they didn't handle it. Mm hmm. It's they didn't really know what to do. I mean, I love my parents. They're incredibly supportive. But. When I first even now, sometimes I don't know, I feel like pressure if I have to get better straight away if I'm not doing well or things like that, even though they know kind of the medical facts behind it. Right. And like, so my dad is also a doctor and I think he just doesn't really know what to do because it's not like a, 
a light switch. Like I can't just take a medication, you know, and like it will be completely better. There's so many other things going on. And I've recently come to terms with the fact that it's not like a straight linear path up. It's like there's going to be lots of dips and maybe re tracking and like it's not linear at all and I think he just like you were saying like they he really loves me and is supportive but it's like what can you really he can't really do anything to fix it yeah I was gonna say like I I I feel bad when I can't like extend a helping hand and like fix a friend's problem like I can only imagine what a parent feels like when they see that their child is struggling and they they either don't really understand it and don't really know how to help or even if they do understand it like you there's no there's no magic pill as odd said like you you can't just take a medicine and then all of a sudden be magically fixed like there's no panacea for it and so because of that I feel like watching someone you love struggle is just so difficult mm-hmm well, that's a, a good point. And I think that brings up a question I wanted to ask. So how does your um, partner support you, especially when you're having like an especially hard time? Um, she's very good at listening and just being there, giving you just basically, I don't really, to be honest, I don't know what the best way to act against it uh, or to act towards it is, uh, but she seems to, to do very well by being there when I need her and just being ready for, to, to like hug me or support me or help me out if I need to, just checking how things are and checking in. Yeah, I think that it's it's always really hard to figure out, especially with, I think, things like anxiety and depression, where there, um, a lot of what's happening is so internal that it is it is hard to express or figure out what you need, especially from a partner, um, and figure out what's going to work best. But it is then when you do figure it out, or even if you haven't, just having that person around who loves you and supports you is so incredible. Yep. I'm like, uh, and she's had her own problems as well. So mm -hmm. even then it's having gone through it, you're not even sure, you know, exactly what you need because everyone's unique. Everyone needs something different. And it's never a case of, uh, sometimes she's like, Oh, but you have it so much worse. And I tend to tell her it's not because someone has it worse that it makes what you're feeling any less valid. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how do you, um, go about supporting like your friends? Um, cause I know a few times you've, you've mentioned like some friends who are, um, feeling depressed or even suicidal and, um, knowing that you have been through that, like, how have you found to sort of balance that, like taking care of yourself and also providing support for, um, people you care about? Oh, that's probably uh, balance it. I, I, I don't know if I find out, I'll tell you <laughs> <laughs> um, because I've had that very recently, actually I've, I've not been doing all that well, but someone's been doing kind of worse and, um, at least that's how it seemed. And they were in more, I'd say they were in imminent danger is the, the only way I can kind of phrase it. Mm -hmm. And I, it just feels, I don't know if it's just me, my percent, but I, I've been, pretty good at recognizing the the signs of 
depression to an extent of this is leading to suicidal tendencies like this person needs help now and not in a in a you need a cuddle as in in you probably should go to hospital straight mm-hmm. away right mm-hmm. so um you're saying that you recognize it and then how do you how do you go about communicating this to somebody whose life isn't like present and immediate danger. I feel as if, and I think Odd might agree that when you bring this up, it's, it, it's a very precarious edge that can go one of two ways. And it's, it's a very difficult topic to approach. So how, how do you, how have you gone about it? Um, one of the times I actually knew my friend's father, uh, and I just went, I just asked him. Uh, I ended up basically just asking him for his home phone number, which I didn't have. Uh, called his parents and told them exactly what was happening and told them, go now. Like, take him to wherever you need, like emergency room, uh, wherever. Just get him help now. It's funny that you, a funny and ironic sort of way that you're saying like emergency rooms, because like, that's not even something that I would have thought to have considered. Um, and I think that's, you're right because like you think of emergency rooms as like something of someone bleeding out and you know i guess yeah you're definitely right some if somebody isn't in, in immediate and present danger a good place to go is the emergency room because that's that's where they that's where you go to save lives and i mean that's what happened to me a few times of you go to uh, yeah, basically emergency room, psychiatric emergencies. If you know, sometimes some hospitals don't have that facility, they'll, they'll sort it. Yeah, it, it's just one of those. I think that comes from actually my my father being a doctor where I realized, that, you know, that is what it's for. And how how was it for, I mean, how did you recognize those signs for yourself when you were thinking like, I'm not going to make it through the night by myself. Like, I think for me, that was, that is really hard. Those times are really hard for me to recognize because I feel so, um, under like depression. Like it feels like it's like really crushing me. And I, um, it's like hard to even recognize when it, when I am in like a extremely bad place. Well, that's something I've been told it's it's really like I, I can't. Like, this is things I've been told in perspective because all I can say is what I I feel. Yeah. Um, so what I feel is I've get I've gone some moments where I've been kind of well, strong enough or managed to muster a moment of clarity to go. No, no, this is this is it. You have to you have to like pull yourself together for just one second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just I want to make sure that you understand like how strong that makes you because I I think for me and maybe a lot I'm maybe a lot of other people but like that for me is like the hardest part is um asking for help when I need it the most I think I can really recognize now when I'm like starting to go downhill and ask for help but once I'm down there it's I sort of just shut completely down and so I don't know I just want to make sure that um, someone tells you that, like that is a real strength to have. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. 
It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. So just switching gears a little bit, you said that you were also working on a comic book about depression. Um, how is that going? Uh, that is very hard, but it's something that, which is basically top of the things I've been wanting to do. Um, the idea behind it is I really want people to kind of understand. So maybe dissipate that stigma and maybe help explain what, personally I've gone through so it is very much a personal account uh, the artist helping me is amazing I've only found them and met them not that long ago but they're absolutely fantastic style and it turns out they also have experience with uh, mental illness mm -hmm. That's awesome. And the idea is, I think, not so much explaining, not so much for people who've suffered with any depression or mental illness, uh, but for people who haven't, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that they can kind of understand, or at least that's what I really hope, um, what other people go through, how it feels, um, why people don't always reach out, right? why there's like these why you lie, why you fake it, why you hide it. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big part in it. Like uh, I want to do a whole bit on like lying. Yeah, that's something I feel like really strongly about. Um, I know that uh, I have, I've had to sort of fake it for my entire existence and um sometimes i can even fool myself oh, to a certain point and then like um you know a month or two months into an episode i'm like oh like i'm not doing well at all mm. i've mm. made myself believe that i'm in a different place but i am not and i think that it's really important that people think that it's Maybe, maybe just like going and smiling at people when you feel sad, but it's so much more than that. Well, I think, I think there's that difference. Like, you, you know, you hear people say fake it till you make it. And right. it's, it's a double-edged sword because sometimes it can help you work through your day. Or even just disassociate for like just a minute. Right. And it, it, if it gets you through your day, great. But you can't lie to yourself about having depression. If you're sad... That's one thing. But sadness and depression don't always align and they're not always the same thing. Oh, absolutely. And so like, yeah, yeah you can you can you can put a smile on. You can put a brave smile on. And that will if that gets you through the day, that gets you through the day. And that's great. You made it through the day. But don't lie to yourself and say like, OK, I made it through the day. I don't have depression anymore. Yep. Mine is like, yeah, you're well, doing fine. Let's just go to bed at 8 p.m. And you're totally fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> Everything's great. <laughs> Yeah, I could have put it better there. 
And uh, there's always something I always thought, which is like people with uh, depression and such, they, they're probably some of the best liars ever. Yeah. Because every single day, uh, how are you doing? And you generally answer with a lie. Oh, absolutely. I'm fine. So, yeah, especially fine. if you have like, so the artist and I both have endogenous uh, conditions. So it's, uh, they're kind of physical as in not entirely sure, but it's not. A reaction to something. It's, right. It's internal. Exactly. That's endogenous. So endo intern inside. It's supposed to exogenous, like say someone in your family dies, that mm -hmm. sends you into depression. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that means generally that you've suffered from it since birth, give or take. Sometimes, not always, but since quite young. So you just kind of learn to lie. And there's a bit of a taboo, I'd say, in some places of you can't be – there's times where you're not allowed to be sad or allowed to be depressed. Uh, and so you have to you have to fake it because society or people around you make you feel like you have to be happy at this stage. Mm -hmm. like it may yeah. be, say you're, you're a child and it's your birthday. Mm -hmm. you, you know, and, and you might feel depressed, but you're not – you know you're not supposed to not be happy. It's ungrateful. It's wrong. It's against kind of society's rules. Yeah. So you really you have to fake it, and I mean you can start. So you have to start from quite young. Yeah, that uh, my birthday is a huge like trigger for me. I've I've always hated my birthday, um, and I I definitely think it centers around my mental illness, and maybe it is about like that faking it. Um, and I know for me a big thing is at work. Um, I mean in my per personal life, um, I'm very open about how I'm feeling. Um, you know, even the day to day and at work, um, I think last year I was, you know, in a very long, serious, depressive episode and I find it got to a point where I had to tell my boss about it and, um, they just didn't know what to do. And they looked at me like I had four heads and they're like, okay, like I wasn't in a place where I had to be hospitalized, but like, so they didn't, they didn't really understand like what to do with it. They're like, you know, almost like if it's, if it's not cancer and you're not dying, like we don't know what to do. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's like you, you have to learn when and where you can express yourself, but sometimes it gets to a point where you try to say something, but like you're saying, there's this huge stigma, like you, you, like you can't, like I'd never bring up my mental health at work anymore, even when it's impacting me professionally. Mm hmm and yeah, I think that's one of the big things all around the stigma because it doesn't have to be the extreme of you have to be hospitalized, you might die, your origin, you know, you're going to self harm, uh, all these things. And self harm is not always cutting yourself or whatever. There's a bunch of different ways to do it, right? Including like overeating, undereating, simple things. I don't know anything uh, about either of those. What? 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 What's all that? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, just some people don't realize. Oh, yeah, that's actually self harm. Um, but all like, there's times where, unfortunately, like your work doesn't have can't be put on pause because you're not doing well, so you have to fake it. Mm -hmm. And I find that so so hard. Uh, it's exhausting. Um, maybe to a slightly lighter topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> So how did so you uh, mentioned to us about how you got involved in roller derby? But I'd like you to tell the story. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, 
well, first of all, my partner's been playing roller derby for about four years now, I think. Um, has she always played for Ed- the Edinburgh team? Uh, yeah, she has. Uh, she basically, we moved, we were in London for her studies. She graduated, became a vet nurse. She's Scottish. We, we were in London. Decided, not big fans of London. Uh, let's move up to Scotland again, where we met. And I love Scotland. She loves Scotland. Well, she's from there. Moved to Edinburgh. Both of us love the city. I highly recommend anyone that can visit it. It's gorgeous. It's fantastic. The people are amazing. I love it. I had the time of my life. I used to work for um, a uni- an American university um, in central London. And um, I very often have to take the train up to Edinburgh. And um, I've never had more fun in my life. I went to a Kaylee one night. And oh, yes. um, I met. Um, I met a guy named Jamie, which is also my name. (laughs) And um, we uh, drunkenly danced for a long time because we had the same name and it was fantastic. Uh, What? What is, what is a Kaylee? As somebody who hasn't been to, I've been to, I've been to Ireland, but I haven't been to like Scotland or it's not the same place. I know. Like uh, uh, some people do get it wrong. It no, no, no. Like, I, oh, I, they both wear kilts. They both have a funny no, no, accent. No, I'm not. I'm not getting it wrong. It's interchangeable. They <laughs> must be the same. I, I'm not getting it wrong. I'm just saying. Like I've been to like areas around there, but I haven't actually been to Scotland, so I don't know what a Kaylee is. Uh, it's f- like a folk dance event where they have live music and basically imagine square dancing, but the least boring possible, like super fun. Okay. So for you, wait, so when did you start skating? You said your partner started four yeah. years ago. So yeah, uh, four years ago, she's, she's passed her men's like, I think two years now nearly mm-hmm. or give or take two years. So, you know, she can play and she's been scrimming and stuff. I went to her first, uh, like W, you know, um, new skater skill. Uh, well, or the, you know, new player, uh, scrim mm-hmm. and really enjoyed it. Okay. There's contact. That's it. That's me. I'm in this, uh, <laughs> before you, knew, before the end of the game, I understood the core rules. Yeah. And after that was okay. Each time you're playing or your friends are playing, I'm going because I ended up uh, just cheering and getting really into it. Um, and after that, uh, recently she started working a bit more. She started her own business mm-hmm. and we were a bit of a, okay, I, I want to spend more time with you, but you're really busy and you've got a lot of skating and I understand you want to. So how about I NSO? And that way yeah. we can go to your, uh, like I can go to your team scrims on Saturdays. Uh, I learned to do stuff, but at least, you know, we're together. We're having a, an activity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did a sewing, started doing a, I was just put on jam timing. I was like, ooh, I get to blow a whistle and no one's trying to take it away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I get not one, but two stopwatches. This is the best thing oh ever. Oh my gosh. That's uh, a, it, jam timing stresses me out so much. I, uh, it's just like so over. I'm like, everybody's listening to me. What if I'm wrong? <laughs> That's what everyone says. Like, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm like, I don't care. I get whistle and two stopwatches. I don't really <laughs> I've got, I've got a really good one on like my first actual kind of scrim where I messed up. I thought I whistled the very first whistle. I, uh, now I wear earplugs cause I, I've not got too many loud concerts and it, after a while, like really start, tonight just starts, you know, 
acting up. Yeah. And uh, yep. I thought I whistled, but I didn't. And this was on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I can rewatch my my first, and no one goes. And I'm like, I take out one earplug and just go to one ref. Wait. Did I did I whistle? (laughs) (laughs) Like sorry, (laughs) sorry. So yeah, go back and do it. And you know, it was a bit of a like. Mainly, all the skaters are going, "What the hell? What's going on here?" (laughs) (laughs) See, that's why I'm not maybe nervous about not blowing the whistle, but at the beginning, but like at the end, like I've had in a couple of games, even like a jam timer go over two minutes, and it's just like. That's the worst thing you could do. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I've heard about it, but I'm just, oh, I'm always like, oh, cool. Lead, lead jammer's gone in the bin. That means I get to call it. it means I get to blow, like, the whistle yeah. 12 times. I love that. That's my favorite bit. <laughs> I like playing with the whistle. Basically, if I get to blow the the more I get to play with the whistle, the more I get to blow the whistle, the happier I am. <laughs> So how then is it to be like a roller derby skater since you don't get a whistle when you skate? So I, I'm enjoying it. And mainly what I enjoy the most is the people. That helps. That's, that's for me, that's always the first thing that I want. I want good people around me. And, oh, and there, that is not lacking. Like from the first moment in the locker room, like people introduce themselves and like, wow, this is, these are really nice people. There is no, there's no, there's virtual, there's no ice to break here. Mm-hmm. There we go. Felt really welcome. Um, like I said, Optimus Grime and Rosie Peacock are amazing teachers and they're so welcoming. Everyone on the, on the leagues, really good skaters, really amazing teachers. They teach you really fast. So, you know, when you got really good teachers, you tend to progress quite fast. So that helps. Um, they're all really good people and I'm just like, okay, I really like this. Thank you so much again. We really appreciate you giving us your time. Oh, it was really good to do. So if you ever kind of want to chat any other time, I'm more than happy. Uh, yesterday when you asked me if you wanted to do more illustrations for you guys, I was, uh, I didn't even think I just meant yes, I'd love to because yeah. I would really love to. That would be amazing. Yeah. And we appreciate that, Nick, with so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our interview with Nick. Um, We hope you guys really liked it. We had a great time talking to him. Um, And I personally had a great time listening to his beautiful accent. Mm -hmm. If you want to find us on social media, we're at at Podcast. You can send us an email at fraupalpodcast at gmail.com. For Nick, if you want to follow him and his comics, you can find them on Instagram at sloth. Underscore, underscore comics mm-hmm. spelled everything spelled normally with an underscore between sloth and comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good stuff. It's really cute, and I like I love sloth as we discussed in the interview. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate it. If you liked our interview and you want to hear more, please rate and subscribe. We really appreciate it. It helps us out and helps other people find us. Yes. And as always, don't, don't be a dick. dick.